3: Well, last week, Barnes & Noble made the announcement that it and Microsoft had officially ended its partnership, one that saw the tech giant invest $300 million in the Nook e-reader. Because after a good start, the business has been quite of a failure. The hope was that Microsoft would use its resources to help develop the Nook and build off of it. And that never really happened. And with Microsoft now having the Surface tablet out there on the market, the question is, what is next for Barnes & Noble? joining us in the studio to discuss uh, some of the theories behind that. Uh Emily Feldman, who is an assistant professor here at the Wharton School, and joining us in a little bit will be Peter Fader, marketing professor. Great to have you back in the studio. Uh it was it was a unique partnership, I guess to begin with, and from Barnes and Noble's perspective, they really did need to have the backing of somebody to be able to get this project off the ground in in the beginning.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, so the Nook the Nook business, when Microsoft made the initial investment, was faster growing, higher flying, doing better than the brick and mortar stores within within Barnes and Noble itself, the traditional business that we know Barnes and Noble by. So, you know, the Microsoft investment was viewed as you know this huge opportunity to fund this fast growing business to uh, you know create a lot of value for for this particular piece of the. Uh, of the operation, and things just didn't pan out uh, this competition that you were talking about with the surface the surface tablet for Microsoft itself yeah. and then all of the other you know e-reader devices everything else that's out there so it's really been uh, a shift of fortunes for for this nook business and I think that's reflected by uh, by the transaction that we're seeing now, this reversal of, of um, Microsoft and Barnes and Noble ending that uh, that financial investment.
3: So, what what ended up being the the, the spot where the Nook missed because it and obviously it had some adoption. Uh, is e-reading in general just struggling a little bit right now? is it Is it an area that we may see lose some steam over the next couple of years?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's a matter of competition in my in my mind, right? it's It's this nook, this nook is competing against the iPad, yeah. the Kindle, all these other devices. and I think there's just you know better adoption, more of a base in place for uh, for those devices, and that's that's really difficult for the nook to compete against.
3: Peter Fader joins us in the studio, busy man that, that he is. Great to have you. Good to have you back for a little while. Good to see you, Dan. Uh, w- from your opinion, what went wrong with this partnership between Microsoft and, and Barnes & Noble?
0: I think it's Barnes & Noble doesn't really know who it is yeah. uh, and who their competition is. They, they, they've always thought that it's, it's, it's Amazon and other companies that are selling books. They don't realize that, especially in this day and age, their competition is Starbucks, uh, and that it's, it, it should be a place for people just to, to go and hang out and spend some quality time and maybe learn a thing or two, uh, and, and that, that's where the, the money is to be made. And it's not clear to me that a, that a device like a Nook is going to uh, help make that happen any better. So
3: then, from a business perspective, what do they need to change, uh, you know, to try and get to that perspective? Obviously, you know, you go to a Barnes and Noble, that you see. I think as many people in the little cafe area than you do out in the general bookstore. So obviously there there's something to be built off of there, but but with the consumers you know kind of trends the way they are right now, what do they need to do to kind of take that next step?
0: So they need to be doing more to uh, to enhance that kind of experience and to call more attention to it. I mean, very, very personally, uh, over Thanksgiving, I was away with the in-laws. They don't have Wi-Fi in their house. And so the first thing that comes to mind is, let's go to a Starbucks and yeah. hang out there. Why aren't we saying, let's go to a Barnes & Noble and hang out there? So if you look at how Barnes & Noble has been trying to, I hate this word, pivot itself yeah. uh, as, as their market has changed, it's, oh, let's sell toys, let's sell clothing, let's just sell other stuff yeah. instead of let, let's let create this, this kind of... Uh, you know, uh, it's it's intellectually oriented. It's nice to be surrounded by books. It's nice to actually to be able to maybe even buy a book just as it is to be able to buy a, a, a latte. Yeah. Uh, and, and people just don't think of them that way. I think that's a, a better route for them. Emily, what do you think?
3: yeah,
1: I th- I'm just to piggyback off of that. I totally agree. And I think it's pretty striking that if you look at what Barnes and Noble does, right, especially when it's still when it had the nook, yeah. it's a bookstore. It's a hardware business with the the physical nook devices themselves, yeah. and it's a software business. So what exactly is this company doing? right? So I think this idea of you know, sort of pivoting, quote unquote, and and you know, remaking itself into this intellectual experience, place to go, place to convene is. You know, sort of uh, the right strategy for them, and and probably pretty in line with with the impending separation of the of the Nook business from from the brick and mortar stores. Well, uh, and, and coming.
3: And, and I guess then the the next question is, can that split be successful? Because if they're going to take, you know, the Nook off under its own realm, obviously they think that they at that point can compete with the Microsoft Surface and, and the iPad. At that point, and, and that would require, I would think, a whole nother partnership that they would have to develop with somebody else, whether that be a company like Lenovo or, or you know, somebody like that.
0: So I'm really troubled by it in, in two ways. Number one There's a a part of the split that you're not seeing a lot of attention on, which is they're splitting their traditional Barnes & Noble branded bookstores from the college bookstores, which are actually more numerous. They have more of them. Why would they possibly split them? Uh, All of those should be under the same umbrella. There's certainly a lot of economies of scale on the supply side. And why not create this more integrated, holistic, consistent customer experience across them. So splitting the stores makes no sense. And when it comes to the device, as you said, it's not their expertise. Uh, If anything, you know what they should do? They should sell Kindles. Uh, uh, Seriously. Uh, So uh, I, I think about the work I've done on customer centricity, that we want to surround the right customers with a variety of products and services, some of which we might not make or make any money on, just to show them that we're a trusted advisor and we have their best experience in mind. The Kindle—that's that's the that's the, the the right one out there. Sell Kindles yeah. uh, and encourage people just to use them in in your stores. Well,
3: if 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 Barnes and Noble is going to try and compete with, say, Starbucks out there, then do they have to make a, a shift at some point down the line in some respects to downsize from what they have right now because they have big stores with a lot of property? Obviously, they have a lot of books there. Do they need to to pare down the stores if they could if they could even at that point?
0: I think that might be a good point of differentiation is that they're like Starbucks but bigger yeah. and it's easier to find a table. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, again, I look at the 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 Pen Bookstore that we have here, and they have all kinds of nice little rooms, yeah. study rooms, uh, and you just go there. And oh, by the way, while you're studying, you might pick up a latte in the Barnes Noble, yeah, um, or uh, other other books or or just things you need to to study better. So I think they're just a a, a bigger Starbucks that's less focused on on on, on coffee and more on other uh, devices and experiences to to aid in in reading and studying. Well, yeah. w- go ahead.
1: I totally agree. I mean, I think the thing that I would add to that is that it, it struck me as odd as well that they were bundling the, or that they're planning to bundle the Nook business with the college bookstores because like you're saying, Peter, the college bookstore seems like a better fit with the rest of the bookstore business. Sure, so that yeah. separation seems odd. I think the other thing that's noteworthy is that they actually have a hugely valuable resources, which is the, the electronic books themselves, yeah. right? So you're 100% right that, you know, they could just transfer those books onto Kindles or any other device, really. Sure. It doesn't have to be the physical Nooks that they've been selling for the past, you know, past number of years. Um, and you know, they could they could monetize that resource at that point. They could sell the content and not really worry about being in this hardware business in a, in a way that's really not a great fit with their operations. I think for me, you know, to the extent that this split ever happens, Nook will be acquired within. A year of 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 being separated from sure. from Barnes and Noble. I don't think it's long for this world as an independent company. In I, my mind, I
3: was going to ask you whether it, yeah. it's almost a cut cut bait and run oh, situation yeah. here at this point. It's
1: done. Yeah, it'll be it'll be acquired by some tech company of some some form. Whether it's Kindle, whether it's uh, Apple, you know.
0: And, and if that's the case, then why would they be splitting? The regular bookstores from the college
1: College bookstores. College bookstores, exactly. It (laughs) doesn't make any sense. And I I, I wanted to bring up
3: the college aspect of it because that would seem to be, you know, a a really good area of growth for them, just education in general, uh, to have the connections that they have already in the college realm, and, and maybe you even are able to extend that out Uh, You know, to try and uh, push it even into high schools, uh, even more so. I mean, that would seem to be the best way
0: to approach it. I've never seen the financials. I don't know if they break it out this way. But I suspect they're doing really well with those college bookstores. Yeah. Part of it is selling the overpriced textbooks that we require. (laughs) Uh, But but part of it is selling overpriced uh, college gear. But th- those are a r- real good money makers. So I don't I don't know why they'd be uh, breaking that out from the, from the core business.
1: Well, I think the other thing that's interesting, and it's a little bit of a wrinkle to the discussion that we've been having, is that you know at least I see this in my classroom. You probably do as well, that the students are consuming their academic materials much more in an electronic way. So sure. I see kids on their iPads, on their tablets all the time yeah. in the classroom. So maybe maybe I don't know. That's the logic behind. Uh, sort of keeping the college bookstores together with the nook in the sense that okay, maybe we can somehow bundle the academic content into this device and that will be the way forward for this I'm not sure I'm not sure that's the right strategy, but but,
3: but would that require a, a technological shift within the nook from what they have right now uh, to to kind of take that next step if that if that
0: would kind of be the plan
1: yeah very possible yeah
0: and and it's and as we've uh, as you've said and I surely agree you don't want to be throwing uh, you know good money after bad they should wave the white flag and say yeah we tried didn't yeah. work the market's been different than we thought let's move on
3: what was it in terms of when the when the partnership was still going on between Microsoft and Barnes and Noble what was it that Microsoft you think saw that just said enough i, I we don't want to be part of this anymore
0: I think it's pretty clear they they see what the the trajectory of the Nook is. Yeah, as is true with with so many companies that Microsoft takes a, a flyer on, uh, and and the good thing is, from Microsoft's perspective, it's not like they bet the farm on this thing. It's not sure. like their own success uh, depends on it. And it's time for them to move on. Barnes and Noble should learn the lesson.
1: Well, what's fascinating to me is that when Barnes when uh, when Microsoft made the initial investment in Nook. The investment that they made put the valuation of the Nook division as being higher than the rest of Barnes and Noble entirely. So, like <laughs> I was saying before, it's really interesting, sort of this change of fortunes across the two companies. And, you know, I think it really speaks to Barnes and Noble's competence, I guess, in a sense that it has been able to stabilize uh, the brick and mortar stores and really put them on firm footing. You know, they're not losing money anymore; they're yeah. they're stable. They're they're fine. Um, whereas Nook has totally taken a nosedive there. So it's interesting how this is flipped.
3: I, I, it's ironic you mentioned about the how the numbers break down because I had a chance to, uh, to go back on uh, one of the websites and look at their latest quarterly report, and, and they break down Nook as obviously one segment. They don't actually break down the difference between their bookstores and their college bookstores, but the Nook, uh, the numbers were down 41%. Mm-hmm you know, in the last quarter for the overall segment. And that goes right to what you were saying is, you know, it's time to get the white flag out and say, enough's enough. Let's let's just cut bait, sell off our product to somebody that can do something with it and go from there.
0: I just have to wonder what's going on inside headquarters. So they... Uh, you know, clear-headed enough to know that that's the case and what's the exit strategy going to be? Or are they still drinking some very old Kool-Aid and thinking (laughs) that they can turn this thing around? Well, and
3: that that goes now to also the the strategy of Barnes & Noble, which is a company that has had its struggles, you know, for the last couple of years. Where does Barnes & Noble stand in terms of being a company in general right now? Because it seems like some of the the decisions that are being made really have to be brought up as, as questionable.
0: Well, again, I, I'm personally, I think it's, it's just recognize who your competition is. Uh, and if they can uh, think more of the Starbucks thing and want to be top of mind when, yeah. when it's time to go out of the house and, and, and or the dorm and study, uh, I, I think there, there's a, a lot of promise there. Because right now, Starbucks owns that that share of mind. Uh, and it's really nothing that, that proactive that Starbucks did. I, I can't imagine any company that has said, that's what our positioning is. Uh, uh Barnes & Noble's in a in a very good spot to make that happen.
1: Well, and there's an interesting contrast contrast to draw, right? In the sense that you used to find three Barnes & Nobles, four Barnes & Nobles in any major city, right? They sure. were all over the place. Yeah. And now you see one, right? So they've really rationalized their presence in the cities, and I think that speaks to sort of the technological shifts that we've seen that people are not consuming books in hard form anymore. They're consuming them electronically, and that's that's it is what it is. That's how the that's how the technology has evolved. But I think, you know, contrast to that, you see a Starbucks on every corner, sometimes more. So, you know, somehow they've managed to, Starbucks has managed to, you know, create itself as this niche place that's everywhere for people to go sit and have a coffee, consume whatever they're consuming uh, in terms of reading material and, and just sit there. Whereas Barnes & Noble hasn't had that thought process and that ability to translate. So. That's a pretty interesting contrast to draw, actually, between those two and, companies. And another
0: contrast that that there might be just a way of restating what you said is that Starbucks really is a destination. Yeah. Uh, that there's yeah. there's real yeah. affinity for it, whereas Barnes & Noble, at best, if you ask most people, oh, that's a place they go if I have to buy a book. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, It's a means to an end, but it's, there's no warmth towards Barnes & Noble anymore, and I think they, they can create that. It, it, it seems like it's also
3: a little bit just a, a, of the perception uh, that that Barnes and Noble is considered to be a retail out, outlet, retail location. It, it Starbucks is not considered that in any way, shape or form. And, and just that 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 distinction between the two may be the the, the deciding factor on being successful or not for Barnes and Noble. I absolutely agree. It should be a a customer experience place, not a place to buy things. So is there a spot then for Barnes and Noble? Besides just thinking about themselves, trying to think them about themselves as a, as a quote-unquote Starbucks, where they could potentially build out from where they are right now to, to maybe find an area where they can be successful and, and have their own, their own segment, which can really push forward. Is there a
0: spot? So a lot of it has been uh, broadening the, the kinds of products that they sell. And so, you know, let's go from just books to maybe kids' educational games yeah. and, and, and let's have some, you know, organized, you know, uh, sessions and, and bring authors in and have them do reading and all that. Uh, I, I think they, they need to get beyond that and ask themselves, you know, why is it, what, what can we create for people just to want to come into the store on their own where it doesn't have to be an event, it doesn't have to be a Christmas shopping list, they just have some time <laughs> to kill, they just want to hang out there. I think that's very doable. I don't think it's very expensive. Uh, I, I think obviously, you do want to think about what kinds of products you, you ought to be, just be having on the shelf when they, yeah. when they come in for that. And again, it could include things like a Kindle, as, as, as bad as that might sound. Uh, I, I, I'm just not sure how much they've contemplated that kind of strategy.
1: Well, and I think the other interesting thing kind of related to this is that, you know, like I was saying before, they have this incredible resource in terms of the electronic content of their books. Yeah. Right. And they had a genius move where if you came in with your Nook device to Barnes and Noble, you could read any book that was on their content list for free. Right. So yeah. I mean it was it was effectively a library. You couldn't take the book out unless you bought it. Sure. I guess take the book out in quotes. Um, but you were able to to get access to all of this all of these books that you would normally either have to pay for or, or get electronically on your Kindle or, or whatever device you were using outside of the store. And that's a huge draw for people to come into Absolutely. these brick and mortar locations. So I don't know the extent to which they'll be able to perpetuate that now that they're separating out the Nook division. I don't know if they'll you know, partner with another company that brings a device into the store that they can then feed their content through, or if they can continue that in any way. But that would be, to me, it seems a huge way to drive traffic into into these brick and mortar locations.
0: And they've been uh, changing their their contract with their customers. Uh, the idea that they used to have the download button on there yeah. and made it real easy, and that was their point of differentiation. And and getting rid of that, it's showing that their uh, that that the, the model that they've been trying. Either it hasn't been working or they don't have faith in it and, and I think it's a shame in a lot of ways. Well, it makes
3: you wonder why they would why they would get rid of that. Because, I, because that's that's about as simple as you could possibly get. And and realistically, you know, we all understand that the simpler you make things, the better off it's gonna be for the
0: consumer. Absolutely
3: we're talking with uh, Peter Fader and uh, Emily Feldman here on Knowledge at Wharton series XM 111 business radio powered by the Wharton School if you'd like to join us in the conversation 1844 Wharton 18449427866 is the number to give us a call now the, the 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 book retail industry has one that has obviously made quite a change in the last you know decade or so we had so many more of these retail locations and they've been they've been pared down in terms of the industry in general, because of we've we've seen so much more e-reading uh, in the last decade or so, is that industry in does it have a, a shelf life in some respects? You know, going forward, uh, say a decade now, are we going to see no Barnes and Nobles out there if there are no shifts made in any type of, type of way to change their business uh, approach?
1: I don't think so. I mean, call me a call me a traditionalist, but I think there'll always be a set of people who want to read their their hard copy books, and you know, there's something to be said for that. I, I think you know, much like you know, kind of these old line industries that are in in decline. You know, yeah, it's 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 not a strong industry. It's not doing particularly well, but I think there'll always be a place for it. That's that's my opinion.
0: Of course, no one would have predicted that borders would go oh, away yeah. so fast yeah. and so dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. So so anything is possible. But uh, and and so. You know, is Barnes and Noble just just the last one before you know turning the light switch off, or can they find a way to uh, to to really reinvent themselves and be more appealing to a, to a generation of people who have never held a book in their hands?
1: I view it as analogous, though, to the newspaper industry, right? So kind of similar, right? Declining fortunes, not doing so well. Sure. People aren't reading newspapers as much on in hard copy as they are as they are on their devices, and yet I can't imagine a world in which. You know the major cities or whatever didn't have their their news their newspapers and hard copy that were sold at the kiosks or the bookstores or whatever. Well,
3: now and, and obviously, at Borders has only been gone for a couple of years, but mm. I, you know, i I forget in terms of their structure. But was Borders really set up at a lot of their locations in malls across the country? Did they or did they have a lot of freestanding? Oh, stores? they had a lot of freestanding free stores. stores.
0: So they really wanted to make Borders the destination to go yeah. and hang out. They actually moved into the malls. Uh, Pretty well into their uh, into their existence, yeah. so uh, I think in that sense that they're, they're, they compete they competed head to head in terms of you know the, the the kind of store they had the kind of experience it just didn't work for them. I think uh, the, the hope is again whether Barnes and Noble can just uh, kind of keep the lights on or whether they can really uh, transform. And I and I really do believe that they can. They just need to to step away from what they have been uh, throughout their, all their history and think about what what, what they could be. For this new generation,
3: Ed is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he joins us. Ed, welcome to Knowledge at Wharton.
2: Well, thank you. I uh, enjoy your uh, your network uh, very much. Listen to it every day. Thank you, sir. Uh, I was in this morning in Ann Arbor. I was in both a Barnes and Noble and a Starbucks, and all the seats in the in those both of those cafes were taken with people sitting there, working, talking, uh, buying. Um, buying things. So I think that the, the difference between the two, maybe in terms of the cafes, are demographic. It seemed like the people in Starbucks were more students and more business people, where the people in uh, the cafe at the Barnes and Noble were uh, some of them seemed, uh, were of a retirement age and uh, maybe uh, some were blue collar. So maybe they're using uh, the, the Barnes and Noble as a uh, resource place similar to the they would use the internet but they can go and pick up books off the shelf and and flip through them and see information without having to buy them there. Well, I think that's one of the things that I see, and I've been in Barnes and Noble all the time and they're always full of people in the cafe area doing work.
3: Well, and that brings up an interesting question. And thanks for the call. Is that f- from the from the consumer's perspective? Obviously, Starbucks has that cool, hip feel to it, which Barnes and Noble needs to try and try and acquire here to, in order to to be successful.
0: So let's think about the people who work there. So at Starbucks, one of the things that makes it so cool and hip is the barista. Sure, is yeah. that person yeah. who, who just knows everything about coffee and everything about you. You yep. love talking to them. Whereas at Barnes and Noble, for the most part, and I, and I'm maybe I'm being uh, too stereotypical here it's just people who sell books yeah, uh, and why kinda. not have book baristas why not find all these these uh, unemployed or underemployed teachers who just just sure. love the sharing of sure. knowledge and just hire them just to kind of wander around and and it's just chit chat and I, I like that. If they had if they had book baristas, it might help uh, convey a different sense of, of of what the place is all about and the kind of people who go there. We'll
3: start a new hashtag on the on the website. <laughs> barista. Book barista. <laughs> oh, well, but but even when you when you go into a Barnes and Noble and you go into the cafe, there isn't a barista. The, you know the person who is you know basically ringing you out at the cash register is the person that's making your drink. And even the, I guess that little distinction is is a part of the success that they've had.
1: Well, and it's interesting also. So not to go too far off topic by talking about Starbucks, but if you go into Starbucks, you'll see now that they're really pushing into more of a restaurant kind of feel or kind of sure. a quick service sort of feel, right? So you go in there now, you can get your sandwich, you can get your salad, you can get, you know, every, you know, any kind of food that you would get in, you know, in in sort of a quick service type of type of type of venue. So it's interesting how these restaurants and these stores really, or these companies really, shift um, the composition of their of their businesses to suit different customer tastes or possibly different trends, I guess, in in in, uh, in the marketplace.
0: Uh, and so, and, indeed, uh, and and Barnes and Noble should never become a restaurant.
1: Correct. So that's
0: so that's so uh, so uh, work with the metaphors. Though. But they, but
3: they do have you know they do have sandwiches oh, like yeah, yeah. like Starbucks. They, then, they need so, to yeah. offer
0: some things like yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, but a lot of the people like like that Ed was referring to that a few years. Ago, they might have gone to a library, and they would sure. have just been hanging out yeah. there. So, so maybe Barnes and Noble basically becomes the new library. Uh, not to say that the old libraries are necessarily going away, yeah. but they can offer an environment. They can offer other services like coffee and, and things that that a traditional library wouldn't offer. So it's just a place to go, hang out, study. You know, to, to get to have a little uh, separate study room So you know, if you, if you have to do a, a study group with your friends, or 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 or, or it, not just for students, but even for, for grown-ups, if you're, you know, you, you need to have a, a board meeting for the local Little League. So, sure. so make it that, that local hangout place at a scale that that, uh, that a Starbucks couldn't necessarily match or that a library wouldn't necessarily accommodate.
3: And obviously a Barnes & Noble would have that type of space right off, right off the bat. Caroline is in San Jose, California with a question. Caroline, welcome to Knowledge at Wharton.
1: Thank you. I actually have a comment. Somebody was talking
0: about having a book barista. I just want to say when boarders was still in business, there was a woman that was so incredibly knowledgeable, particularly about children's books. I have a problem with my son finding books that resonate with him. And I ended up buying so many more books because she was there as a resource for me. Barnes & Noble, a little bit of that, but not nearly as much. I think that's an excellent idea. I, I go to, you know, even the library, I find, as a resource for the librarians that know a lot about the books.
1: If they're going to sell books, they should know about them. Uh, so I think that is a way to differentiate themselves. And that, that was my comment. Well, thanks,
0: Caroline, for, for validating my idea. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people look at the demise of borders, and some people look at it naively as, as a failure of that model, saying people didn't want that. That's not the case at all. Borders failed. I think, because of their inability to be a multi-channel player. They yeah. could just never manage the internet thing, and that just ended up becoming an Achilles heel that swallowed them. But what they were doing in the brick-and-mortar stores was just was was brilliant and, and warm and wonderful to the very end, and it's kind of surprising that, that no one, whether it's Barnes & Noble or others, has, has tried to uh, pick up on it.
3: Well, I want to thank you guys for coming in. Uh, great conversation. Uh, and we could do a whole other segment about, about the, you know, how to build out the libraries to be that type of, of niche place uh, coming up in the, near, in the near future. Peter Fader and Emily Feldman joining us here on Knowledge of Wharton. We'll take a break and come back with our number two in just a minute. Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge of Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn
2: dot edu.